God is good all the time. So good to see you today. Men, if you're wanting to kind of take that next step in your uh, Christian walk, tomorrow evening, 630, there is a, a men's group that's going to be meeting in the chapel. It's a great way to get some, to know some other men, to lean into what God's doing. We encourage you to do that. Also tomorrow, as they said, is Christ Church Gear Day. Uh, the idea is wear it to work, get a picture of yourself, put it on social media. Let's get some conversation going, some invitations to church, and uh, let's just see what God wants to do. Wednesday morning, a pipe burst in the sprinkler system, resulting in major flooding in our office area and the cafe, and the cancellation of going deeper, which means it must have been really major flooding. Uh, we're still drying out, and we're still cleaning up. But there's a backstory. Earlier that morning, Melissa and I wake up about six o'clock every morning, at six o'clock, and we, we grab coffee, and I take the dogs out, and then we talk to each other. And she said, You ought to go see your dad today. Well, normally I have coffee with my dad most days a week. We meet at McDonald's where I'm the youngest old guy. And, uh, and we meet at McDonald's, but mom's not been doing great and not been feeling terribly well, and so dad's been home with her. So Melissa said, you ought to just go take some coffee. And I said, sweetheart, I'm just in too big a hurry today. Uh, my schedule's too, too pressed. I need to get on to work. Well, I'm getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden, you know how you get those pings? God just kind of pinged me. You need to go to your dad. You need to take him a donut and, and take him a, a drink. I thought, okay. I'm kind of at the point in my life now, if I get a ping, I'm going to go with it. All right? So uh, went to dad and mom's, took dad a donut Got to say, hey, to mom, I'm over there. That's about 45 minutes late, getting into the office. The pipe burst while I was visiting with dad and mom. And when I arrived at the church, the fire trucks were at the church. The uh, fire chief, Chief Doyle, who he and his department just did an incredible job. We're all here, lights on everywhere. And when I walked in, the place was just flooded. Absolutely flooded. Everybody on the premises had become a relief team. There were squeegees. They were pushing thousands of gallons of water around. They just kind of sh shuffled me past my office. Uh, and I glanced inside. And, and my whole office was an absolute disaster. Uh, I just assumed that everything was lost. And if you could see it, you would make the same assumption. Well, as it turns out, the ruptured pipe was directly above my desk. It just to the right of where I sit. And when the water came down, it came down with such impact that it brought the whole ceiling down with it, along with hundreds and hundreds of gallons of water that just all came down. Had I been sitting at my desk, and I 100% would have been, uh, I would have suffered significant injury at best. I lost a few things. Uh, ranging from uh, Holy Land wood carvings given to me in Bethlehem to, to, to books that are now still readable. They're just all thicker than they used to be. Uh, lost some vintage baseball cards, uh, you know. But all in all, I've been shocked at how many things are going to be just fine after some cleanup and some repair. I got home Wednesday night and sat down and Melissa said, how are you really doing? I said, I, 
I'm really grateful. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just grateful. This could have been really bad, and it wasn't. We lost some things. Things can be replaced. And the only thing I could think of was just how good God is. We're in Jerusalem, third decade of the first century. Jesus of Nazareth has been crucified, resurrected, and ascended. Pentecost had come. Holy Spirit fire reigned upon the only 120 Christians in the world. Peter preached under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people came to the church that day. I mean, you wake up in the morning, you got 120 people. You go to bed that night, you got 3,120 people in the church. I remember when our church was small here, I would read those numbers and I would think, wow. And I remember a few years ago, God just put something on my heart. Someday we'll have 3,120 people a week that we're reaching for Jesus. I got doing the math. I thought there's no way unless people suddenly develop a liking to come into church on Monday nights. I thought there's just no way. We don't have enough space. We can't park everybody. There's just there's no way. And then the pandemic hit. And all of a sudden we expanded our online coverage and many of you worship with us from all over the country and all over the world online every week and and before long just keeping the same numbers that we'd always kept we just kind of went from 2,500 to over 3,000 last year we were reaching almost 4,000 people a week in worship and it just occurred to me these are kind of bible numbers right this is kind of becoming a church of biblical proportions. How cool is that? The disciples were tasked to carry on the ministry of Christ. And then they were given these unbelievable gifts of the Holy Spirit to conduct that ministry. These supernatural gifts. Well think about it. If God has asked the church to be the presence of Christ... God certainly is going to have to give us the firepower to be just that. What we have are eight characteristics of the early church. And this Acts 8 series is, is just going over one characteristic a week. Last year, last week, we looked at wonder. Just, just how wonderful is God. Today we're going to discuss miracles. How's that? If you're guests for the first time, you have hit the jackpot. This is miracles. I, I can't wait to get at this. Next week we're going to look at fellowship, then generosity, then worship, then communion, then a good reputation, and then growth. All right, so that is where we are going. Today, the second characteristic of the Spirit-filled church is miracles, or as the Bible says, signs and wonders. Miracles are impossible possibilities. And they were the calling card of Jesus' ministry. They were also the calling card of the early church. You say, well, I thought people came to hear Jesus teach. Let me tell you something. When Jesus started teaching, they wanted to throw him off the cliffs. They came because he did miracles. They came because Jesus could give people their lives back when no one else could help them. Desperate people flocked to Jesus. Because when the doctor couldn't do anything else, Jesus still could. When the people couldn't help people get free of evil spirits and psychological turmoil, Jesus could. 
Jesus could do things no one else could do, and that's why people flocked to him. And then Jesus said to the church, I want you to continue this ministry. And he gave us unbelievably, unbelievable firepower for doing just that. Wouldn't it be something today if people looking for a miracle flocked to Christ church? Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't it be something if people, no one else could help, flocked to Christ church because they knew that God does miraculous things here? Wouldn't that be something? When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the early church began to walk in the realm of signs and wonders. Uh, these were extraordinary, ordinary things in the early church. They happened all the time. Now, I've been asked over the years, why don't we see more miracles today? And first of all, we do. We, we do. I see miraculous things happen all of the time. But I'm going to tell you, we would see more of them if we prayed for them. We would see more of them if we truly had the faith to believe that God would do miraculous things in our midst. And we would see more of them if we actually celebrated it when God did something fantastic. A lot of times God will do something miraculous, but we don't know how to talk about it. And so that witness isn't given. God does miracles for the glory of God. And so we need to pray for miracles. We need to believe that Jesus can do miraculous things. And then we need to celebrate those miracles when they happen in our midst. There's an Old Testament word called Ebenezer. Ebenezer. You might, those of you that grew up in traditional churches, you remember the old hymn, Now I Raise My Ebenezer, right? I sang that whole time I was a kid. Had no idea what it meant. It literally translates stone of help. In 1 Samuel 7, the prophet Samuel erected a large stone to mark the spot where God had delivered the army of Israel from the Philistines. So he builds this huge stone and it is an Ebenezer. It is a stone that marks the spot where God gave the Israelites help. It stood to remind future generations of the majesty and the miraculous power of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The Ebenezer shouted on this very ground, in this very place, God gave his people victory. And the God who did it once can most certainly do it again. And the God who's done it for others can most certainly do it for you. An Ebenezer. Over the past decade or so, we've had occasions where we pass out prayer stones. Every time we do, we utilize batches, we call them, stones of different colors and textures to kind of mark time. The instruction when people grab a stone is to let the stone stand for a miracle that you need in your life and let it remind you to pray for a miracle. There's nothing special about the stones. It's just reminding us to pray for a miracle. And when God answers our prayer, I ask people to bring the stone back to me. Pretty simple. And they bring those stones back, sometimes with a 10-second story. Some people, in fact, just before I went into la late, uh, the last service, somebody gave me an envelope. It's got a stone in it. And they've written several pages about this miracle that God did in their life. We get stones back all of the time. 
And sometimes I get stones back that people have been holding for a decade or more. And you say, how do you know? Because it's been a decade since we handed out that specific color or texture of stone. And they just kept praying. And then finally their their miracle broke loose in their lives. I love hearing miracle stories. I love hearing miracle stories. I love looking at social media when people post their miracle stories. I love it. Well, I had this huge glass jar in my office that was my Ebenezer. It was filled with hundreds and hundreds of your return stones. And, and I kept it right off to my right where I sit and on top of my bookcase so I could see it. It's just up there. The jar is about this big, weighs about 80 pounds, and I just have it out there. And some of you have brought me stones, and I was in a time I could do it. I've said, hey, come, come with me. And, I, and you've walked with me into my office, and, and I've just dropped that stone in that Ebenezer, in that jar. Well, that jar is just filled with miracles. It's filled with your stories. How many of you have ever given me a stone, returned a stone to me? That jar was full of your stories. It meant a great deal to me. And when the pipe burst, the water came down so forcefully that it took an 80-pound jar filled with prayer stones and just drove it to the ground. It fell about eight feet. When I finally got into my office, there were prayer stones everywhere. And there was glass everywhere. It was just an absolute mess. It occurred to me when I walked in my office, I don't think the devil likes Ebenezer's. I, I would figure of everything I've got in my office, that one annoyed the devil the most. I mean, if you were the devil, wouldn't that annoy you? It's kind of like having this monument up every day, reminding him that he is inferior to the power of the Most High God. I guess whatever the case is, the water came down and took out the Ebenezer. I thought to myself when I looked at those stones, Satan, you probably think you've won this, but you couldn't be more wrong because we're going to clean these stones up. We're going to get the glass out of them and we're going to put them in a different jar. And I've even got something worse for you to think about. I've got a brand new Ebenezer we're going to build today. Right here in January of 2024, we got a brand new jar and we're going to start this thing right now in the name of Jesus. And you want to know why? Because the devil doesn't win this thing. The Bible says to resist the devil, he will flee. We're not going anywhere. You break my Ebenezer, I'll get a bigger one. You break it, I'll get two more. We are not going anywhere because we are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And the last thing we're going to do is let Satan push us around. Last thing we're going to do. So the old Ebenezer is gone. But your stones aren't. And we're going to start anew. Over the decades, 90% of the prayer requests that have come to me are for healing in some form. Physical healing is complex because all forms of physical healing are temporary. Do you all understand that? Even if God heals you of a horrible disease, even if God would raise you from the dead, you will eventually die of something. You remember Lazarus in the Bible? God raised him from the dead. He died. I mean, not then. But I've been to Israel several times. Never run into him. He died. All healing miracles are temporary. Conversely, Every person in the Bible 
whose heart is connected to God through the ministry of Jesus, those become eternal miracles. Those become eternal healings. So in the Bible, we have physical healings, temporary. We have psychological healings, demon possession, that kind of thing, temporary. We have spiritual healings, temporary. We have people who've been dismembered that are put back together, temporary. Those things are temporary. They are part of earthly life in a fallen world. The only true miracle, eternal miracle, is when God forgives our sins and saves our souls and we are made right with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and we will spend eternity with him. That is the only eternal miracle. But that doesn't negate the fact that Jesus did physical, temporary miracles all the time. We can't just say, well, because the greatest eternal miracle is spiritual, that God's really not in the miracle work in business anymore. Wrong. It was the calling card of Jesus' ministry. It was the calling card of the early church. People got healed. Did they all get healed? Not everybody on the earth was healed, but people got healed. People were touched. Lives were changed. God was in the miracle working business. And what I want to suggest this morning is that God is still in the miracle working business right here in 2024. We serve a wondrous God, an awesome God, who still does miracles in time and space. In our text today, we get a huge miracle. It's kind of front page news. And then there's this secondary miracle that a lot of people don't see. I call it a two for the price of one miracle. So let's lean in to this just a little bit and see what God wants to do. Verse one, this is Luke chapter seven. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, so Jesus is out teaching, he's tired, he's exhausted, probably feels a little bit like I do. Not so much on Sundays, three, three sermons isn't all that bad. Christmas Eve will get you. You know, uh, you get down Christmas Eve, you know, you kind of get in, you kind of feel like you've been ridden hard and put away wet, you know, if you were a horse. And so you're, you're sitting there and, and Jesus had to be feeling this way. He's got to be tired. And all of a sudden he decides, okay, I'm going to go back to Capernaum. I'm going to go back to my ministry headquarters. I'm going to sit in my office for a little bit and catch my breath. When Jesus had finished saying all this, he returned to Capernaum. Capernaum is Jesus' ministry headquarters. It's on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a freshwater lake. It's about 20 miles from where Jesus grew up. So it's not where Jesus went to high school, but he would have played them in football in their conference. A trail called the Valley of the Doves connects Nazareth, where Jesus did grow up, to Capernaum. And that Valley of the Doves is still there today. How many of you have walked the Valley of the Doves with me on pilgrimage? Yeah, it's, it's an unforgettable thing. You see what Jesus saw. It connects the two. James, John, Peter, Andrew, Matthew, all are from Capernaum. Their high school letter jackets had big C's on them. All of them. We forget sometimes a lot of Jesus' disciples would have known each other before. And some of these guys grew up together. Verse 2 through 5. At that time, the highly valued slave, doulos is the Greek, it could be a servant or a slave, of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. 
So they earnestly begged Jesus to help them. If anyone deserves your help, it is he. For he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. Now we know the Romans had an entire legion of soldiers stationed in Israel. It would be up to 5,000 soldiers, 300 cavalry. Uh, most of them are in Syria. There would be some in Caesarea Maritima. There would be some down in Jerusalem at the fortress Antonia. This officer is called a centurion. It means he has over 100 soldiers. Centurions assigned to Palestine would not be popular with the people because they're an occupying force. But this man is a clear exception. He has a heart for God. He has a soft place for the Jewish people. And he is somebody who has built an incredible reputation. In fact, he even built a synagogue for the people in his community. But on this day, he's filled with anxiety. On this day, he has a huge problem that he can't solve on his own, and the problem is threatening to consume him. Have you ever had a problem get so close to you, you couldn't really think about anything else? You ever have a problem get so close to you, you couldn't even enjoy your life? You know, it's not that the problem's that big. It's where it's located. Take a look at my fist. I bet my fist looks like an incredibly average fist. And it is to you. But if I stick this fist right here, it is the single biggest thing in the cosmos. And a lot of times our problems are like that. Our problems get right up on us. And we really can't see anything else. And it begins to destroy and threaten everything else in our lives. This centurion had a problem. A trusted servant was sick and near death. And the centurion didn't know what he was going to do without him. This gravely sick man probably ran the entire household and the business affairs of the Roman officer. He was probably a, a CFO, if you will. The servant was probably also a friend, making the potential loss both professional and personal. And if you've ever walked through the valley of the shadow of death, you know how it can break your heart. The officer had heard about the healing rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. He found out he was in Capernaum. And he sent a delegation to make a request of him because Jesus gave people their lives back. Jesus could do what no one else could do. He had that reputation. And so he sends a delegation to make a request. He does not order. The centurion is not the boss of Jesus. He asks. And the question at hand is why would an itinerant Jewish rabbi take the time out of his busy schedule to travel across Galilee to heal the slave of an occupying Roman? It was a fair question. To help answer, the centurion had sent some respected Jewish leaders. They made the request on his behalf. And Luke is clear that this is a very good man because of his generosity and his character. He's particularly deserving of anything Jesus can do for him. But the reality is the officer has a problem no one else can solve. Doesn't matter how enfranchised he is, doesn't matter how much money he has, doesn't matter how well he is connected, he cannot solve the problem of his servant. And he believes that Jesus is capable of healing this man. He just does. He believes that Jesus is capable. There's a word for that kind of thing. Faith. Faith. 
Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith. Verse 6, so Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home. I'm not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. The arrival of this Jewish delegation of elders to Capernaum uh, had come to an exhausted Jesus. But when God pings, you, you just go with it. I learned that Wednesday. Again, when God prompts you, you just go with it. Don't talk yourself out of it. Just go with it. Now, we don't know exactly where they were taking Jesus. It could have been close as Tiberias, which was just around the bend. Could have been as far as Caesarea Maritima. We don't know. But we do know that there's a pivot on behalf of the centurion. Before the first delegation of Jewish elders arrived to Jesus, he sent a second delegation to intercept that group. He sent a second delegation. And that second delegation, after they'd already gotten to Jesus, intercepts and changed the request. It now moves from come and heal to just say the word. This has gone from a display of faith to a staggering display of faith. Though the Jewish community considers this centurion most worthy of divine intervention, it's clear that he doesn't think himself worthy. There's no Roman elitism or hubris here. The officer is demonstrating humility where humility would never have been expected because he's completed Jesus' mercy. If Jesus can't help him, no one can. He's showing faith where no one would have ever expected faith. Verses 7b through 8. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of superior officers. I have the authority to say to my soldiers, go and they go or or come and they come. I have the authority to say to my servants, do this and they do it. The centurion deduced that he was a man both under authority to his general and his emperor. And yet he was in complete command of his soldiers. So too did Jesus live under the authority of God. And he believed Jesus to have complete command over sin and disease and death. And upon further thought, the centurion decided, I don't need to have Jesus come to me. I don't need him to do that. I'm not worthy of that anyway. All I need to do is have Jesus say the word. All I need to do is have Jesus say the word. Jesus, you give the order and my servant will be healed. Verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. you got to remember, his disciples are standing right there. They're probably saying, Jesus, we're here. He said, I haven't seen faith like this in any of you. This is the most staggering display of faith I've ever seen. It's not that he just came and said, come and heal my servant. That was faith. But when he said, you don't even need to come, you just say the word. Because death and life and healing and wholeness 
all live under your authority. You say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus is saying, this guy gets it. He gets it. And he's a Gentile. And an occupying Roman soldier. To quote Yogi Berra, who would have thunk it? And note that Jesus isn't traveling alone. He's, he's, there's a crowd following him. You want to know why? Because when you get the reputation that you can give people their lives back, that you can help people no one else can help, people flock to you. Part of what we do when we invite people to church is we say, come and meet this Jesus. Come and meet this wonderful, wonderful Christ who can do what no one else can do. Come and meet this Jesus. The crowds flocked to him. They followed him everywhere they went. There's one consistent factor in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's nothing God values more highly than faith. There's nothing God values more highly than faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. I know a lot of people who, whose intellect, and their intellect's impressive, even staggering. But it keeps them from having faith. I was sharing Jesus many years ago with a very, very intelligent person. And he kept asking questions and I kept answering them to the best of my ability. And, and finally it just got old. You can hit that point with me. And uh, I said, hey, listen. I'm never going to be able to answer every question to your satisfaction. And you will eventually exhaust my knowledge anyway. But I am going to tell you this. You right now are standing on the precipice of faith. And you're going to have to decide whether or not you can take a flying leap. And if you take a flying leap, you will land on solid ground. And if you don't, you'll be stranded there your whole life. We have to have faith in Christ to be made right with God. But it's faith in Christ that is the ammunition for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see, we may have those gifts, but without faith, we, we don't have any ammo. Faith gives us that ammunition so that God can do incredible things, not only in our lives, but through our lives and through our church and through our ministries. Without faith, it's impossible, not unlikely. It's impossible to please God. Verse 10, and when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Completely healed. There's a Greek word called sozo. And a lot of times we read this and we think of physical healing. But sozo is, is mental healing, emotional healing, physical healing, spiritual healing. It means you're completely all healed up. Some of you may be Christians, but you're not all healed up. Some of you may have healing in some areas of your life, but other areas aren't healed up at all. Sozo means that Jesus does his work in all of us, in every aspect of our life. This, this CFO is not just physically healed from the brink of death. He is healed in every way. And we celebrate that miracle, particularly being as Jesus just said the word. 
But a second miracle happened as well. The servant is healed, but the centurion himself, his anxiety is now gone. That cloud that followed him everywhere he went, that thing that was so close to him that he couldn't see anything else, that weight that he carried for so long, it was gone. You see, by healing the servant, God also healed the master. And that's part of the reason we need to celebrate miracles. Because a lot of times miracles are like throwing a stone in the middle of a lake in the summer that's perfectly still. Those, those rings just keep going out. This is two miracles, maybe even more. When Melissa was diagnosed with aggressive cancer, we engaged uh, the long process of chemo and surgery and radiation a year ago, this week, I just returned from the Egypt-Israel pilgrimage. I was not going to go. She insisted that I go. And she finished her last chemo treatment while I was in Egypt. I woke up in the middle of the night and watched on FaceTime. I watched her ring the bell. My kids and grandkids there. And I cried like a baby. Surgery. Uh, Around Easter of last year, finally we got done with radiation. I, I'm just delighted to say right now she is in total remission. And I praise God for that good news. I praise God for that. But you see, that good news, that answer to prayer doesn't just come to her. I got to tell you, I'm doing a little better as well. And my kids are doing better. And my family's doing better. You see, when God does miraculous things. It, it, it's not just doing a miracle here. That, that miracle just expands. And that's why it's so important that we give God the glory. That's why it's so important we build our Ebenezers. That's why it's so important that when God moves, we shout it from the housetop because those Ebenezers remind people that what God has done for us, God can do for them. And that's why we got to celebrate it. It's why we've got to celebrate it. Two miracles, three miracles, four miracles that all happen at once when God moves. I want to say today that I believe God is still in the miracle working business. I believe he's still in the miracle working business. Two bowls, one bowl in the balcony have prayer stones. They're green. We've never exclusively used green stones before. The green stones will mark January 2024. If you need a miracle in your life, right now, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, maybe you've been dismembered, you need remembered, whether it be relational, financial, maybe you need a miracle in your marriage, in your family, if you need a miracle right now, that thing is right on you, I want you to come up during the closing song and grab a stone. Just grab a stone. There's nothing special about the stones. They are simply reminders that every time you see that stone, let it remind you that God is wonderful and God is still in the miracle working business. And I want you to put that stone somewhere you can see it. Keep it with your change in your pocket. Put it in front of your vanity uh, when you get ready in the morning. Keep it in your car someplace you see it. And every time you see it, just, 
Just throw that prayer back up. Lord, do what only you can do. Say that with me. Lord, do what only you can do. Say it one more time. Lord, do what only you can do. Let's do it one more time. Lord, do what only you can do. Every time you see this, Lord, do what only you can do in our situation. And just hang on to that thing. And then when you get your miracle, bring it back and pop it in that brand new Ebenezer. And we'll get something going all over again. Answers to prayer don't always come as we wish. Everyone is going to die of something. And sometimes the miracles are finding the strength to carry on. How many times in our life have we gone through a really difficult stretch of highway? God never really took the trouble away, but we get through the thing and we look back and we find out that God's strength and God just scooped us up and carried us the whole way. Miracles can come in a lot of ways. They come at God's direction, not our own. They come in his way, not our way. But even in the midst of death and hardship and disappointment or tragedy, we still find signs of God's love and grace. Even when we don't see that miracle unfolding the way we wish, there are still signs of God's love and grace. When they finally let me go into my office, it was such a mess. When they finally let me go into my office, uh, I looked around and two items caught my eye. Uh, neither particularly valuable, just valuable to me. When I was a little boy, seven years old, uh, I, I fell in love with the Miracle Mets, the New York Mets who won the World Series in 1969. And my favorite pitcher on the Mets was Jerry Kuzman. He was a young left-hander, had a long, long career, not a Hall of Famer, but a really nice pitcher, but he was always my favorite baseball player. From the time I was seven until now, he's always been my favorite baseball player. And I had a baseball card of his from 1969. And it was just always my favorite card. I loved the looks of it. It had a little trophy on them like those old Topps cards used to have. And then several years ago, I got a baseball signed by Jerry Kuzman. And, and I just love it. You know? I look at those things and I'm 10 years old again. It's awesome. And I, I walked into my office and everything around it was just soaked. And that baseball and that card were just dry as a bone. Just dry as a bone. And I thought, God, are you gracious or what? You not only spared my life, for which I'm appreciative, but you, you showed extra grace and mercy. And keeping th two things dry that are just really, really important to me. I was reminded that even in the midst of a flood, God's grace reaches out to us. And even in the midst of the flood in your life right now, look for signs of God's grace and mercy because they remind us of the miracle still to come. They keep us in it when we would be so tempted to give up. Look for those signs of grace and mercy. Well, somebody told me this week, they said, you know what? We believe the devil tried to take you out. And I said, well, if he did, I ain't dead yet. Here I am. I listened to a ping. I went with it. And we had something happen. But for whatever intention that may have come, I'm just fine. And what I'm going to tell you is, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I will proclaim the goodness of the God 
of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will proclaim the saving power of the Christ who came to this earth, who was born of a virgin, who lived a perfect life, who gave his life for our sake, who was crucified, died, resurrected, and who rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he's coming again. The rest of my life, as long as there is breath in my lungs, I will proclaim the goodness of God. So sometimes you just got to stand up and build a new Ebenezer. And you say, what? You may have been gunning for me, but here I am. And we are still going to proclaim the goodness of God. So I was thinking this week about the new Ebenezer. And it occurred to me that I've already had a miracle. The miracle of pain. The miracle to be in there, not here. When something really happened bad here. For that, I give God all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. And I can't wait to hear you drop your stone in this Ebenezer as well. If you've got a miracle you need in your life right now, I'm going to ask you to come up during our closing song. There's one in the balcony. Just grab a stone. Just grab a stone. Uh, one of the things that shocked me today is uh, we've got a lot of miracles needed among the people in this church. Grab a stone. Hold it. Let it remind you. When God answers that prayer, bring it back. And then let's celebrate the miraculous power of God. Also, if you've got some things in your life that are just stuck. You guys know what I'm talking about? They're stuck. I'm going to have some people up front that would love to pray for your miracle. To pray for that miracle, to pray that God just puts some pressure on that thing. You see, friends, if you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always got. Let's do something different this year. Let's start praying. Let's lean in. Let's get some people to pray. Let's get a little shoulder of Jesus shoving on that thing. Let's get some things moving. So I've got some folks that are going to be up here. They would love to pray with you just to get that miracle started. We're going to have all that happen during this final song. As long as I have breath. I will proclaim the wonder and majesty of God. I will point to the miraculous things that he has done in our church and in our lives. And I can't wait to celebrate your miracle with you. Would you pray with me, great and mighty God? Thank you for who you are and all you've done. Thank you for what you're doing, even on this jagged day. And thank you for all the things you are getting ready to do. Moving our lives, moving this church in such a way that desperate people who have nowhere to turn and need miracles would flock to this house. And they would meet this Jesus who has changed our lives. Thank you for who you are. We can't wait to see what you're going to do. In Jesus' strong name, amen. I invite you to stand. Come and grab a stone. Let somebody pray with you. I'm just going to prophesy right now. 2024 is going to be the year that you experience incredible miracles in your life. And we are going to see God move in this church in ways we have only dreamed.